0: coming
1: up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. This is ancestral health.
0: What did we evolve to for our lives to look like? Our lives looked like this. We got cold exposure. We got heat exposures. Right. We didn't eat all the time. Right. We had to deep breathe because if it was cold, you better maintain your body. There was a million things we had to do to survive over the you know, millions of years that we evolved. And I think that that is the driving force. That's what I always will repeat to people is where, do, where, what, why do I believe we're, we're, I don't need any research studies to tell me that cold therapy is good because I've done it and it feels great. It's obvious, but also we evolved to do this stuff. Then you find out about the heat shock proteins, then you find out about the neurochemical changes that happen, then you find out about the power of overcoming the fear of going into something cold, the resiliency that it builds, and, the, and then you find out there's an overwhelming amount of research to support it. And yet, never in my you know, four years of med school, internal medicine residency, did anyone ever mention a cold plunge, a sauna, a deep breathing, Uh, the only thing that was mentioned is high intensity interval training. And at no point did they actually explain what that means.
1: Hello, and welcome to the get lean eat clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was five, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed the founder of Evolve Healthcare, Dr. Gary Schleifer. He's a board certified internal medicine physician specializing in preventative care, nutrition, and anti-aging medicine. We discussed ancestral principles to help your mental health, importance of eating seasonally, nutrient dense foods, problems with our healthcare system, and his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. This is my second time around interviewing Dr. Gary Schleifer. I really enjoyed it. Tons of great tips that you can apply and I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Welcome to the get lean, E clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and for the second time around, I have Dr. Gary Schleifer. I hope I said your name, right?
0: <laughs> uh, Schleifer or Schliffer. That's okay. Oh,
1: good. So I could have gone either way. Yeah. yeah thanks Brian. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on again, Gary, as you know, is a board certified internal medicine physician and he specializes in preventative care, nutrition, and anti-aging medicine. He's out in LA. Are you still out in LA? I am. Yeah. The practice is thriving. Um, it's been, uh,
0: been busy and fun growing the practice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you are, um, is that what you would do say you would do 80% of the time or? or I know you do some podcasting and some guest hosting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my practice evolved really organically. I I worked in the hospital for a while. I got very frustrated with it. And then um, I probably spend maybe 60% of my time with evolve healthcare. Uh, Evolve has an in-office component. And then I, I see patients in boarding cares, nursing homes, that sort of thing. And I have a team of nurse practitioners that I've trained and so it's a very traditional medical practice, uh, the way someone might imagine a doctor practiced many years ago. Very few doctors are doing that, at least here in Los Angeles. Um, so I'm very proud of that. And then I do a lot of hospice. And I, I, I don't know if that came up on our last talk, yeah. but um, I t- it's, a, it's a passion of mine. I really, really, I really really love it. I think it's like a great place for me to use my skills and help people. Um, and then probably like 10% of my time, is with extra stuff. I have a little supplement line I was working on. Um, I'm working on a mental health program within Evolve, uh, which is uh, my dream, which we can talk about. I really am passionate about mental health and psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy specifically, and we all know about the psychedelic movement that's going on. Um, and then I, yeah, and then I dabble in podcasting. I'm always open to to, to joining folks and uh, sharing my ideas. And I think the dream is to build something impressive so that I could have yet a bigger platform to share my ideas. Um, Though I don't really pursue the podcasting like in any formal way, (laughs) if that makes sense.
1: No. Yeah, no, that was a good summary. And yeah, you mentioned some things in mental health. I actually had Dr. Tommy Wood on, I'm familiar with Dr. Dr. Wood. And that was great because it's not a topic that we touch on too much on the podcast. And it's actually interesting. Before we did this interview, I actually did a cold plunge. Oh yeah. And, uh, I was lucky enough to put one in my house and I was just thinking like how much this has such a positive impact on my mental health. And I'm someone who I don't have like necessarily like a mental health issue, but just the, just the process of doing it. It's amazing how it sets me for the day. And I'm just curious what type of, things or techniques do you, are you passionate about regarding mental health as far as helping people?
0: Yeah. Well, specifically you were kind of bringing up the lifestyle component. I think, I think it's the easiest way to tackle mental health, honestly. Um, To, to speak to that, I, I personally do this and I try to encourage all of my patients to do this I think like you just said, you don't need to have a quote unquote mental health disorder to focus on your mental health. In fact, if you don't want to have a mental health disorder, you should probably put time towards your mental health proactively, just like you don't need to be fat to start dieting. You you can think about your diet and learn about your diet and become healthier uh, just because you want to, even if you already are. I think there's so many stories in our community of people that were like super sick or you know, someone in their family became super sick, and that set them on their journey. And I always just want to remind people, you, you don't have to get super sick to go on a health journey, you can just want to be the healthiest version of yourself. Right. Um, I think that doesn't get enough attention. But specifically to your question, I promote and I don't know if we got on it, but these ideas of battling chronic stress with acute stressors. And um, I present generally five it's not all inclusive but it's just five that i think are really simple and easy to do intermittent fasting cold therapy heat therapy high intensity interval training and deep breathing and i think that those are strategies to help your metabolism but those are strategies to help your mental health and of course they work together because these are all things controlled by your hormones in your body so if you're doing things to create balance and and create uh to create a healthy environment for your hormones, then you're going to be both metabolically healthy and have that uh, mental health benefit. So I love cold all th- those. <laughs> cold, yeah, right. cold therapy and heat therapy. So doing uh, I, anything from a cold shower to an ice bath, uh, I just, I, I preach about it so much. I do it as often as I can. I will be installing one in my house though. I have some options where I just throw buckets of ice in various, I have like a tub and this and that. Um, And then I got a sauna coming. Um, I I moved into my house not long ago and we're going to install a sauna. I I used to go to like the gym and my buddy's house, but it's something I've always wanted to have as my daily routine, but I've never been able to Mm. do it every morning. And, uh, you know, as my my stress becomes higher, I mean, it does as your company grows and you have employees and, and you have all these patients to be responsible to. Uh, i spend my extra energy trying to build up my self-care strategies and so yeah getting a sauna is one of them hopefully hopefully in a couple of weeks i'll be doing that every day yeah um and then uh, and then yeah i'll figure out the ice but right now i just i have a, a like a jacuzzi tub in my um in my bathroom and i'll just throw like four bags of ice in there you can't do that every day, you know, unless you have it set up, you can't quite jump in that. Like my wife is not going to be okay with me having a bucket of ice <laughs> in our bathroom every day, but I, you know, a few times a week, uh, it seems to work out. Okay.
1: Yeah. And like you said, even a cold shower, uh, for, you know, get start 10 seconds at the end of your shower. And I, I will say there is something about going in cause I've done them all. I've done cryotherapy. There is something about going in the cold water and just embracing it. And you know, you mentioned fasting and cold and warm therapy, and uh, what was, you said a uh, well, deep breathing. De- oh, deep breathing because it goes with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I have to breathe when I'm in the tub. You know, it's like they go hand in hand.
0: Yeah, but if you think about it as separate things, then you can start getting better with your breathing. Mm-hmm. So for sure, if you just go into a cold tub and you start practicing doing that, you're going to start breathing, right? Cause it's the only way to survive is you got to blow off all that CO2. You got to, you got to move your, the, the air to to maintain your body temperature and just tolerate essentially being inside of that cold tub. But um, if you think about the deep breathing as its own strategy, mm-hmm. like for example, Uh, We were talking about mental health. So when you're having a panic attack and it's just becoming increasingly common, I just see so many people. I've never had panic attacks. Now I'm having Mm -hmm. them. And then they have no tools. They have no way to get control of their nervous system. The simplest, the simplest is a deep breathing strategy. There's a million of them there. You know, there's lots of people that teach you how to do deep breathing. Um, The simplest, the one that connected with me when I was in medical school and struggling significantly with anxiety was Wim Hof. Wim Hof was the first guy or person to expose me to the power of just being able to control your nervous system with very, very simple things. So he taught me his deep breathing strategies. All of a sudden, when I got nervous before a test or I got nervous in a situation, I could go even in front of people or just step to the side and do some deep breathing, go through a couple of his uh, breathing rounds. All of a sudden, I have control of my nervous system. The Wim Hof method is very simple. It's cold immersion therapy, plus deep breathing, plus meditation. Here's the thing. If you're going into the cold bath or like cold plunge, like you're doing, you have to do all three. They they are not, they're not exclusive of each other. Like if you're going to be successful in a cold plunge for two, three, five minutes, you've got to do thoughtful, deep breathing. And when you're doing that, there is nothing else. And what's what's the goal? I mean, you you do it all the time, right? The goal is you do that breathing and then you get to this point of equilibrium where your body sort of, you accept that temperature and Mm -hmm. you come to terms with it. And all of a sudden you can breathe normally again, correct? Correct, yes. That and what happens in that moment, your neurochemistry changes, your whole body's function changes and your brain, I know you feel it because this is the most special part is you just calm down in your mind. You go into a meditative state.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. I actually think a lot of the healing is after the fact, right? Like when you're getting out of it, because not only helping with like mood, but also obviously with recovery, inflammation, things like that, and releasing like norepinephrine, um, which is, you know, obviously like our feel good hormone. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I can't, we could speak a whole podcast on cold plunging. It's, it's something I, I, you know, I moved into my house a year and a half ago, we added it. Oh, I should say I added it. It was like my, <laughs> my splurge. I don't know. I just sort of, I kept reading about it and, 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 and I've interviewed a few people and I was like, you know, I just got to do this. And I will say it is the best thing. And I have a, I have an infrared too. I'm lucky. I have an infrared and I have that they're, they're both great and they both play a role, but there's just something about, you know, like I went in this morning, I've been trying to go more in the mornings because I used to do it in the, towards the afternoon evenings, but like then you, it's great and it, it actually can help with sleep too because you do feel like sort of relaxed when you're done. Like right now I'm in a pretty good state. I'm pretty high. I tell you, you don't, I will not, not that I'm a coffee drinker, but I don't think I, if I start doing morning plunges all the time, I don't think I'm going to need any coffee. I can tell you that. But but I do I do love the serenity you feel when you're done and you sort of build this resilience. Now you mentioned all these stressors. These are obviously all um acute stressors. And it's interesting. My buddy, Brad Kearns, um, you know, I forgot he interviewed, um, God, the name is escaping me, but was almost, he was, this guy was almost not like talking down, but saying like, well, you know, we have these lifestyles that are already stressed. You have to just be careful with all these other stressors. And and I do agree with that, but to what point, you know, like, um, I guess, what is, what are your thoughts around that? As someone to say that someone that's like chronically stressed probably should should they maybe not do all these at once and, and keep an eye on, on, you know, how many stressors they're actually, um, using a hundred percent. Uh, if the, I don't, I didn't hear that, uh, you know, what
0: you were referring to, but look, acute stressors can get you in trouble. You can go to the hospital and get very, very sick from going into the sauna for too long. You can get extremely dehydrated and lose a lot of your salt. If you don't, thoughtfully replace your minerals and salt from when you're in the hot uh, in a hot environment, in a sauna. When you're in the cold, if you go too long, too cold, your body will lock up. I mean, as, as the cold plunge becomes more popular, I almost worry that we're gonna see someone overdo it, lock up and not be able to get out of that thing. I actually don't even recommend doing it very cold, You know, nothing less than like 50 degrees, especially the first few times alone. I mean, you can you my It happened to my buddy. We, did, we were doing 39 degree cold plunge and his leg locked up. Uh, I mean, the way his is, he was able to. But I'm just saying like this. These are benign things. Fasting. You can get in crazy trouble with fasting um, if you're not consuming enough food in general and you're trying to fast. I mean, you're just starving yourself. Uh, If you're not replacing the water and the minerals, if you're not eating enough fat, you're just starving and you're going to deplete yourself. Uh, Deep breathing. I mean, if you're doing Wim Hof style breathing and you're really getting after it, you can get lightheaded and pass out. You better be sitting down when you're doing that, or at least know your limits when you're playing with the um, carbon dioxide in your body, because that carbon dioxide system is related to your pH balance. And so when you're doing these deep breathing strategies, what you're really doing is manipulating your acid base balance in your body. And it's through those mechanisms that you affect your hormone system and calm yourself down and your nervous system. So Yes. Uh, I think as this becomes more popular and as we preach about this and we, we, I live an example of this, it should be very clear. If I'm not feeling good, I don't do a lot of this stuff. This is done very thoughtfully. There's prep, there's post work you have to do. You have to understand the mechanisms that are working. I, I, It's just like food. If you don't really understand macros, if you don't really understand ketosis, if you don't really understand your hormones that control hunger and satiety, you're going to struggle because things are going to happen and you're not going to understand what's going on. I think that's why so many podcasts and so many people like us exist, because it's not simple. It's not this like, I eat carnivore, I eat vegan, I cold plunge, I do vesting. It's not that simple. None of it is. And that's why, you know, my message is always, it's not anti this, it's anti that. It's understand what you're doing because you can be a successful plant-based person. You can be a successful person. You know, like the liver king is a great example. He's doing a million stressors all day long, but his whole life is built around tolerating those stressors. So
1: um,
0: the only thing I would pick apart in what you had mentioned before is I, I do think there's a difference between chronic and acute stress. So if you're chronically stressed, I do think you have to incorporate acute stressors to build that resiliency. However, for someone who is not in good shape and who might be severely stressed out, all they need to do is deep breathing twice a day. That might be all that is safe for them to do and might be a good step in the right direction. I think that for most people that are have never heard about what we're talking about, if they put their foot in 40-degree cold plunge, man, they're they're never gonna do it again. Right. They're not gonna get it if they're not breathe, if they're not deep breathing. Walking into the thing, they're just gonna freeze up and last four, four seconds, and it, none of the benefits will be there. So, yeah, it, but, but I will also add, you should not be afraid of these things. So nothing is right. nothing in life is free. Everything has a price. That doesn't mean you fear things that have risk. It means you learn and you get educated and you do it right because all of the things that we talked about that will make you healthier are somewhat unpleasant and difficult.
1: That's yeah. the, that. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Unpleasant. It, 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 I mean, I go back to when I first started fasting, like it was unpleasant. I, <laughs> I remember like, like I tried to play golf. I think it was, I was in a fast like, and I like, I just had these cramps and like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't get through the round. I'm like, Oh, this yeah. is not going well. Right. So like, for any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, the first time I'd started doing plunging, did it, was it like the most enjoyable experience? No, but, <laughs> but like you said, I think if you dip your toe and you just gradually try to do all of these, maybe one thing at a time, you don't have to do all, you know, fasting, cold plunge, hot, warm, you know, whatever all in one day. Right. So I agree. Like I, with my fasting, it was almost like a stepladder approach. And I think you should take that approach for all of these stressors.
0: Think about it as, you know, one of them is high intensity interval training. So let's use weightlifting as an example. You would never sit down, you know, you've never lifted before. And like, let me do, you know, 185 pound bench press. Cause, right. cause two plates look cool on the bar and I can do it. No, or uh, I guess that's two plates
1: on each side would be two or five, Think but, two or five. Yeah, two right. five. <laughs> but
0: my, my point is that you start with maybe just the bar, right? Like day one might just be the bar. Right. And then you do that a lot. And then you put five pounds on and then you put 10 pounds on. I think all of these things are like that. Yeah, I, I think even even the deep breathing, which feels like the most benign. If you do too many sessions that first time that you get too lightheaded, you're not going to feel great. Um, so, yeah, yeah, but but no one does it. Here's the big here's the big rub, I think, on this conversation. Went to medical school, never heard about any of this stuff um, went and studied kind of an integrative medicine approach. It was all herbs and stuff. It was still what you put in your mouth. It was still just like, what substances could you put in your mouth to change your body? Right. That's Mm -hmm. like that functional medicine food is medicine herbs. It's, it's still missing the point. The point is just put good food in your body. There's probably a bunch of other things we need to add because our food system is broken, but if it wasn't, presumably you wouldn't need anything else, but it's what you do with your body. It's what you do with your free time. It's, it's how you wake up in the morning. It's how you, it's your morning routine. It's your, cause what are we really talking about? Morning routine an evening routine. We're talking about self-care routines. We're talking about super basic stuff. We're just bringing to the table, these new modalities, but here's the thing, not new modalities. All of this. The reason why I'm passionate about it is this is ancestral health what did we evolve to for our lives to look like our lives looked like this we got cold exposure we got heat exposures we didn't eat all the time we had to deep breathe because if it was cold you better maintain your body there was a million things we had to do to survive over the you know millions of years that we evolved and i think that that is the driving force that's what i always will repeat to people is where where what why do i believe we're, we're, I don't need any research studies to tell me that cold therapy is good because I've done it and it feels great. It's obvious, but also we evolved to do this stuff. Then you find out about the heat shock proteins. Then you find out about the neurochemical changes that happen. Then you find out about the power of overcoming the fear of going into something cold, the resiliency that it builds. And the, And then you find out there's an overwhelming amount of research to support it. And yet never in my you know four years of med school, internal medicine residency. Did anyone ever mention a cold plunge, a sauna, a deep breathing? Uh, the only thing that was mentioned is high intensity interval training, and at no point did they actually explain what that means. So, again, the students don't come out knowing what it is, they just know what lifestyle modification that word and oh, I hit oh, they don't know, they don't know. So, I think that's something really important to learn. We're just we're just echoing back to our ancestors and saying like, oh, like oh, and I'll say one more thing. Mm-hmm. I'm Russian. You guys all know about the Russian banya. So traditionally, what the, the what? I'm sorry, Russian banya, banya, a banya. Okay. A banya is a Russian bath. It's like a traditional activity that Russian folks have done for I don't know. My grandfather talked about it. His grandfather it was always a thing. And what is a Russian banya? It's a traditional Finnish sauna. You go into the sauna, you get super hot. You do these leak leaves that you s- s- smack on your back that it helps with the blood flow and kind of opens and it's a little bit painful and it kind of like shocks your system. Then you mm-hmm. jump into cold plunge. Well, and then in the Russian bunny, you might have some vodka and <laughs> you might go back in the sauna. anyway, but, but the idea is that these are traditional behaviors. These are things that people did for leisure, uh, but really they were making them healthy and, um, Korea, Like, at least in L.A., there's lots of Korean saunas out here and very, very similar experience. Um, The only place that those saunas exist or those experiences exist in our modern Western world is the gym and like uh, like a hotel. Right. It's not really part of our day to day. It's like a a post gym thing. But the way you and me are talking about, Brian, it's a morning routine. Very, very different way we are, we are encouraging people to incorporate it in their lives that than the way it currently is.
1: Yeah, no, I mean the, the whole ancestral movement, I definitely think has some, has some momentum. It is interesting how you'll start hearing. Cause you know, obviously being involved in health and wellness and having a podcast, it's like, now you hear some of these guys where they're like, almost going back on their on some of the talk, like even some of the guys that would talk about fasting, they're sort of going back to like, well, maybe you shouldn't do it. You know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if you're hearing this a little bit. I, you know, like, I just like Thomas DeLauer, who was like one of the big fasting guys and, you know, has tons of YouTube videos. He's all over the internet. And now he's sort of coming back and how we, you know, I don't know. I, I just think that like, as, as a society, like we almost like outthink ourselves too much. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, these are all tools. You can overdo it in each category, whether it's fasting or cold therapy or whatever it is, but let's just leave, say it as it is. I mean, as a society, we're way too comfortable in general, (laughs) going from our bed to our car, sitting, going to the office and coming home. Like we live, we live to, to not have any of these stressors really. Right. We don't want that. So I just think it's interesting how like you will see some of this stuff is coming full circle a little bit with like the fasting and stuff. And I agree, you can overdo all of these, but I would say in in general, we we have uh, an abundance of energy that we all have that we can use and that's our own fat stores. And if you could learn to tap into those, I think most people would be better off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think what I I don't know the gentleman you were referring to, but I I was very uncomfortable with a lot of the promotion of the intermittent fasting by a lot of the social media people. Uh, Very, very similar to me as the carnivore movement. I think that when you take a tool, like one tool, it's like a screwdriver and say, look, this screwdriver will fix everything and you better use the screwdriver every day and use it as much as possible. You've missed the point like immediately you've missed the point. So when I saw people jump on the carnivore train and like become like the guru for carnivore and tell everyone they should be carnivore indefinitely and more than that just start poo-pooing like any carbohydrate or poo-pooing like right. any alternative uh, at that point you've missed the you've missed the mark and you've become the religious style zealot that we are trying to fight against where oh, all animal foods bad, all red meats bad. It's this, you can't fight fire with fire. You got to fight, fight the silly ideas that don't make any sense with real common sense, scientific lifestyle guidance. So carnivore is a tool. It is not a diet forever. You can eat a carnivore-ish diet, but if you never have a carbohydrate and you never spike your insulin, you're going to not be healthy. It's not how it works. So when we say you're spiking your insulin too much and your response is, well, I'll never spike my insulin ever again. Right. Uh, what are you talking about? Like, what? why would you even suggest that? So when it comes to fasting, it's the same thing. I saw all these people figure out fasting and all of a sudden it's like, I'm doing a 36. I'm going, oh, I'm going to, I got to do four days. What? Mm-hmm. what? Why? What are you doing? And how often are you doing that? And what is your goal? Like, okay, you figured out the concept of autophagy. Does that mean that's it? That you figured it out that now you're going to just be in autophagy. So you could be forever healthy and young. It's not how it works. Fasting has risks. Fasting has to be done very thoughtfully. Uh, it is dangerous. If you do it aggressively Even doing a 16-8 fast every day, if you're not providing yourself the right nutrition, you're not going to really do that great. So, you know, we mentioned my guidance last time. I think 16-8 is a good baseline. And I think doing OMAD once, twice a week, maybe once or twice a month, depending on the person, some people can't do that. I think that's reasonable. I think the real balance is instead of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, eat 12, 14 hours a day. Even if we just convinced everyone that eat for eight hours a day, that's it. Like that would make more health benefit for people than trying to come explain to everyone autophagy and do how many hours you can do it. And you know what I mean? So I mm-hmm. think just like anything else is getting monetized and people try to get popular off this stuff. And it, that doesn't work. You have to present a really robust idea of what a healthy lifestyle looks like to really explain to people what's going on.
1: Yeah. And I think there's that self-experimentation, right? Like I find like myself, I'm, I'm always changing it up. And like, I've gone from 16, eight to you know, 20 hours and having a four hour window and just trying to figure out what would work best. Because I think one of the struggles, at least for me sometimes is getting enough protein within that window. If I'm going to have two meals, I typically have two meals and you'll talk to protein experts and people who want to build muscle. They say, well, you should spike muscle protein synthesis three to four times a day. You know, I just interviewed a few, a few scientists and I'm like, well, that's, that's great, but I don't know if I want to eat four times a day, you know? So I think you have to find the balance and there's that self-experimentation. You could look at, like you said, all these different studies done and they're done on, you know, who knows on animals and on, on certain people. and, And, but like, I think you have to be your own study, right? Like you have to really, you know, what works best for yourself. And same thing with me. Um, So anyways, I think we've, I think we've touched.
0: Let me add one thing before we move on. Mm. The trick is actually this. It's that we constantly need change. So what we don't talk about enough is seasonality. So the reality is that you probably ate a very, you could eat a carnivore diet, do a lot of fasting, maybe during the winter, high fat diet, Then as it gets warmer, you're going to change your diet. You're going to embrace some of the new plant matter that's local to your environment. Mm -hmm. You're going to pickle some of the plants from before. You know what I'm saying? So there's this dynamic interplay that we used to have with our environment that's very seasonal and local. And everyone's was slightly different, but we were in tune with the, the world around us. And so I think that when you're buying little packets bought in plastic with a cool brand on it or you're watching some dude's or person's podcast uh and like trying to just do what they're doing you're missing the 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 boat because you might live in a different environment your biology is going to be different and your past is going to be different which is why you have to understand why we are recommending these things that's why I keep, we keep trying to re- reinforce like the mechanisms of action and the side effects and how to negate them so that you can go on your own journey i think that's really what it is it's no one can tell you how to do this. You can learn from a bunch of smart people, a bunch of people that did self-experimentation. And then from there, you can create your version of this. And I don't think there's a one size fits all to being
1: healthy. Yeah. No, I, I, sure. I like that you bring up like the seasonality of, of eating and, and, you know, even doing any of this is this, the fact that like, uh, guess I was listening to an and, you know, you talk about like carnivore, like nose the tail. And obviously there's a lot of supplement companies now that are making, you know, heart, liver, spleen, you can get it all right. I mean, uh, ancestral supplements obviously is one of them. And, um, and I know nose to tail with your, you know, your buddy, Brian, um, and it's great, but, uh, I, I was listening to a carnivore talk about, well, if you, if you do hunt an animal, right. Like the liver is only one part and you're only having, that's such a small percent of the animal and you're eating that maybe once every, you know, so often same thing with like eating seasonally and like, do, should you have honey every day? Like, you know, Paul Saladino's got into honey and that, that's great. But like, if did, you know, ancestrally, did we eat honey every day? No, probably not. We ate it once every so often when they got it and same thing, I think almost like, let's just say with liver, you could probably overdo it with liver you know, increase, you know, whatever vitamin A is, uh, there's a ton of, you know, decent amount of vitamin A in liver. But so I guess that's a good point is, is if you could, um, have this seasonal mind thought mindset around eating, I think that's a good, good way where you're not over abundant in, in too many things.
0: Yeah. And like, and going along with that, it's like, okay. So if you're trying to mimic your ancestral origins, What would happen? You would slaughter an animal or you'd catch an animal. Then you'd eat the organs because they don't want, they're going to go bad and they're the most nutrient dense. And then you're going to eat the muscle meat for the next few days to weeks. And then that's going to repeat its cycle. Mm -hmm. So when people are like, uh, you know, three ounces of liver, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know what I'm talking about? What, like, what are you talking about? That's completely just made up. Like maybe it works for someone, but that's not, that's not like, that has no scientific bearing nor does it have any ancestral bearing like you have some liver every couple weeks make sure it's really really high quality you're good i like to think about it as you know if you're gonna eat organ meats intermittently like i i try to i basically try to focus on getting a meal of real dense organ meats every two to three weeks Uh, So I have a place locally, really great uh, Israeli place, and they make Mm -hmm. liver and onions. And it's like really, really high-end food. I get that every two, three weeks. It's really good. It's super clean. I've talked to them about their ingredients. I love that place. I support them. And that's one version of it. Um, My dad makes pate. It's a traditional Russian food with liver, pancreas, and kidneys. Mm -hmm. We try to make that together every couple months. Um, I think I'm good with my liver intake. You know what I mean? I don't know that I need it. I don't need no. The only time I recommend those liver capsules is it's a good way to get iron without taking a pharmaceutical iron pill. And I think that's a fun, fun way to use organ meat is people with deficiencies. uh, It really makes sense, like go to the source, right? I love that. Um, But I I don't think eating liver every day makes any sense, no matter how you cut it. know i I, I, even this idea that oh we're like the alpha wolf and we want to eat the top quality yeah but even the alpha wolf doesn't hunt a new animal every day maybe i'm wrong but i don't think they're eating the liver every day right Uh, so
1: yeah no that yeah that makes sense liver and onions yeah my wife makes that for me and it's great it's nice that you can find a place you're in california in Chicago. Honestly, I don't think I could find a place and get make. You know, I know liver and onions back in the day was like like my grandparents. They used to have that, but now or like tongue, I remember and stuff oh, like no. that. But <laughs> love it, yeah. But now it's like you might have to send me that. You're, well, you're find that a good, to, yeah.
0: good Jewish or uh Polish because you're in Chicago. Jewish yeah. or Polish deli, like something that's been there for eighty or a hundred years. They'll have it.
1: Yeah. well, yeah, they'll have what you think they'll have liver and onions or just tongue. Yeah. Both.
0: They'll have both they'll okay. liver and onions, pate tongue. Yeah. Um, Those are traditional foods that, you know, I was just having a funny conversation with my friends. They, uh, my best friends just had a baby and we were like trying to, th- and we were talking about what I ate growing up and I ate a lot of porridge. Hmm. Uh, I ate a lot of, cause in Russia, uh, you know, before, cold cereal was invented in the last like 80 years. I think Kellogg's invented it, honestly. Cereal was hot cereal. And it was a plethora of different grains, depending on what's local to your area. Right. So I grew up, I realized I grew up eating, I don't know how I got this, but but as this idea of like our disconnect between the history. So like we think like now I think, oh, cereal's bad, processed food, oatmeal's bad. It's like lots of chemicals. But I didn't actually grow up eating those. Those grains. I grew up eating like uh, semolina porridge, uh, buckwheat porridge. I remember farina. (laughs) Farina. So there's all these other grains, and especially if you could procure them from other countries that are much cleaner sourced and prepared. Right, right. There's other ways to eat. Even grains are just so misunderstood. We have like wheat Corn, like we don't have a lot of options here in America because we just grow soy, wheat, corn, and uh, sugar, right? Uh, that's like what we grow in America. It's no number one products that we grow in our farmlands. Right. But like I w- grew up every morning, like five mornings, eating buckwheat, either cold buckwheat with a little bit of milk or hot buckwheat with uh, even salt and pepper mm-hmm. or like some of the leftover uh, meat from the night before. That was a breakfast. When you look at the nutritional content of buckwheat, it's a superior grain with far more protein, uh, far lower glycemic load.
1: Mm-hmm. I've hit- I, yeah.
0: I know. I, 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 I just, it just blows my mind how bad our food system is here. Like we have completely destroyed the concept of what real food is. And uh, it's sad. Because there's a lot of really good stuff out there. And it's not this battle of meat versus plant versus grain versus this versus that. It should be a dynamic process of uh, what's available to you and what makes sense during that time of year.
1: And, you know, it's interesting. I I just had this thought uh, changing topics a little bit, but, Mm -hmm. you know, your, your Instagram handle, you know, board certified internet internal medicine physician, focusing on prevention, nutrition, and health optimization. I'm thinking to myself, shouldn't every physician have that as their tag, but that's not really the, the case. It's, you know, a lot of it is like like sick care, right? You, you wait till you're sick and you get some type of drug. Um, just switching uh, lines a little bit. What what do you think needs to be changed? I know this is heavy that we don't have to go, but like, you know, our healthcare system, what, what, what are some of the things that need to be changed with our healthcare system? Mm. Oh man, that's a heavy I one. I know that's uh, why I said. It. Well, we, you know, someone uh, like yourself, someone like yourself and what you're doing, you know, as an internal medicine physician, n- prevention, nutrition, health optimization, this is, I mean, I think we talked about this for the first interview. This is this is where I hope the trend would be going, but I think it's just you're like a diamond. What's the term? Diamond. In, diamond in the rough. Diamond in the rough. You know, you're t- it's tough to find someone like yourself.
0: I'm trying to give a thoughtful answer. I'm trying to think about it as why why was I able to develop what I've done? I, I think. You know, there's a million answers to this this question. I think most doctors are not as knowledgeable in the healthcare system. In fact, they don't understand anything about the healthcare system. They're trained to do a job within a system, which is being a doctor. But they are aggressively pushed to not step out of line. I think the only reason why I have had success not just come up with an idea. I want to do this stuff, but kind of like been able to grow a practice and grow a community around me. Mm -hmm. Not, not even talking about online, like just my literally here, my patients, the people that know me here. Um, It's because I got to learn about how the healthcare system works. I, I, my parents have been uh, in practice for 30 years in the Valley. They kind of got me going. I've been so fortunate to have different mentors throughout the system, not people that I pursued, people that I met through my parents initially, then through different business relationships. These are people that are 30 years older than me and some of them are younger than me because they're they're in some other part of the system. They're younger than me and we connect and they're able to educate me. So I've had a series of mentors that have taught me how do insurance companies work, What are like, there's a million insurance companies. All of a sudden I understand them. How do these different levels of care work? Everything from being at home to the clinic, to a boarding care, to an assisted living, to an independent living, a convalescent home, uh, a a nursing facility, a hospital, the different kinds of hospitals. Like that's a lot of information. It's really like a business of medicine. I, I actually joke that the last five years have been a fellowship in the business of medicine for me. And, and it's I know this is a weird way to answer the question because you're like, well, what does business of medicine have to do? Well, in order to practice medicine the way I want to practice medicine, right. in order to not be fearful of every step I take that I'm going to get screwed, in order to be able to fund it myself and get paid by the insurance companies myself, I had to build all these relationships and set all this stuff up. Like, that's what... And so what they've done is created a huge hurdle to truly being an independent primary care or any independent physician. Forget about, I think specialists, I'm not going to speak to that, but the general primary care doctor, family practice, OB-GYN internal medicine, uh, and really any specialty that just wants to provide general care. um, The hurdle to establishing independence is overwhelming. It's not just the actual logistics of doing it, but accruing the knowledge. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that you come out of medical school and then residency and you like know how how things work. You don't know anything. They don't teach you anything. They barely teach you billing. They teach you how to put in the basic codes so that they can get paid while you're a resident. But they don't teach you the intricacies of billing. They don't teach you tricks, how to optimize your billing cycle. They don't teach you how to build relationships with different organizations. They teach you go get a job go to this corporation. They're going to give you benefits. You're good. Don't ask questions. Here's the guidelines. Oh, you don't want to follow the guidelines. Mm, we don't like that. You should follow the guidelines. That's what they're there for. The doctor follow the rules. You can't follow the rules. If you want to do prevention, nutrition and health optimization, because the rules are set up for a sick care system. So how do you start undermining that sick care system? is you get the physicians to actually practice the kind of medicine they want. Do you think that all the doctors in this country don't like don't want to do what I'm doing? They all do. I know they do because that's why they go to medical school. It's not, these people are not malicious. They're loving, smart, caring people. I say that all the time about my colleagues. Everyone wants to do a great job, but when you, you set them up to be employees, when you set them to, to be cogs in the wheel instead of leaders, When you take the smartest group in the hospital and you make them subordinate to uh, God knows who, case managers, administrators, pharmacies, like when when the doctor is no longer in a place of leadership and you've selected out the smartest and you've trained them, assumingly the smartest, and you've trained them extensively, and then you take all their power away this is a sick care system. It's more than a sick care system. It's a stupid system. It's a system that makes no sense. Sick care would be like, oh, we're literally going to target an environment to make more sick people. I don't even think it's that malicious. I don't think it's that smart. I don't think anyone is over here like manipulating, oh, we're going to keep people sick. No, it's just money, 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 money. And what happened? Yeah, go ahead. What happens when you put a doctor in a position of power, they're going to change the situation because they they actually know what's going on. And they're like, no, I'm not going to put all of my patients on this sugar supplement that's supposed to help them heal. No, I've been trying to change that forever. I'm like, I want to change the little insurers to bone broth. That's like, that's like mm. one
1: nutritional oh thing I
0: want to do. Yeah, it insure. would help so many people. Yeah. But anyway, they don't want to hear that because insurance costs 20 cents and bone broth is going to cost $2 a box. That's going to be a huge knock against them. So when they hear me talk about that, they're like, oh my God, stop. Like, no, that's never going to happen. And and that's the outcome that will happen if you put more and more uh, power in the physicians. You will have a movement towards prevention and health optimization. Uh, But I don't think that it's going to happen anytime soon because money, you know, I don't make a lot of money. I make enough money. Um, It took me five years to be financially independent in my business. Five years. How did I survive? I lived a lean life and I had a lot of friends and family and community support. Thank God for that. And I thank everyone for that. But it was a long road to be able to practice this kind of medicine. And many of the podcasts I had done, I never talked about this because it wasn't in a better place. Right now, thank God, I waited it out. I got to this point where I was like, almost like, is this even worth it? What am I doing? Am I a lunatic? I should just go back to the hospital. But then it started get, finally getting to the point where it's like a viable business. But it's not like I'm over here making millions of dollars like everyone thinks doctors make millions. But it's not like that. I uh, I do okay. But I've worked for a decade in, mm-hmm. <laughs> after graduating to get to here. So if I could do anything, I would create more freedom for physicians to do the kind of medicine they want to do without the fear of repercussion and financial sanctions and legal sanctions and all of this fear. I would take away the fear and I would let physicians have some more autonomy. And then you will see more health care and less sick care.
1: I don't think I need to add anything to that. Yeah. You should have your own podcast. (laughs) Ah, Thank you.
0: Look, man, I love it. And I love just joining people. I don't know. Again, I I think the message I have after having this conversation is if I ever have any success in the public public sphere, if I ever have a platform, it's going to be organic. I'm never going to go after it for money. I'm never going to be like, I'm the keto guy. I'm the animal guy. I'm this guy. I'm never going to do that. We, me and Brian developed the concept of sapien as a general idea of what healthcare looks like. It's, convoluted. There's no one liner. Sorry. There's no way to make it simple. So I don't know that it'll ever get mass appeal, but that's what I want to promote. And I would love, you know, i love it. And, um, thank you for having me. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I just, yeah. I'm, no, I'm going to go see 55 patients today after we're done here. Jesus, That's what I'm going to go do. 55. It's a different, I have a different okay. set I'm doing a supervised. I, I make it sound crazy. I, they're not like clinic visits. They're not even outpatient visits. I do a supervisory role for a healthcare organization. Um, again, because I have some understanding of how the different pieces. And so I'm actually, it's almost like a consulting job. And, um, some of those are going to be visits. So maybe 20% of those will be formal, like medical visits and the rest will be guidance to the organization, the nursing staff, the leaders, Uh, even some social work stuff. I I really, uh, uh, I try to help people navigate the healthcare system. And that's, that's my job today.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, what you shared on the issues with the healthcare system or, or the sick care system. um, I don't think I need to add anything to that. I think that was really well put. Um, Just on a different note. Yeah, no. um, On a different note, you talk about your sapien you know, the Sapien brand. Um, maybe let's just touch a little bit on, you know, what have you, what have you learned? What are some of the principles that you keep coming up? I mean, you're working, you said you're working in hospice. Is that, that, and, and that takes a special individual in itself. I, I will say that because uh, actually my, my, my wife's mom recently passed and she did at, at home hospice. And I just, I mean, I, I don't know I t- the people that, work with people who are in hospice. I mean, I think it takes a special person, but um, anyways, I just want to add that, but I was just gonna say, what what have you learned in uh, just from practicing and what are some of maybe the principles um, that keep coming up that have helped people overcome maybe some of their health issues. I know that's another, just another fairly general, broad question, but, you know, like, for example, I'll just say like some of the things for me that, that I, I, some of the principles I keep coming up when I help people, are going for walks. Like it's like simplicity. We might've talked to, I think you have dogs. Do you still have a dog or okay. Yeah. Do I still
0: have a dog. I had to, he's, he wants to be on the podcast. Trust me. <laughs> I have two dogs that are
1: being very quiet right now. <laughs> so that's good. Um, but like going for walks after meals, you know, maybe cutting, picking a time to close the kitchen at night, you know, a little simple principles. What, what maybe are some of, those principles that keep coming up that are helping your clients um, get optimal health.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to think of stuff that we haven't already talked about. Yeah, I think there's this huge piece that is important and it's important in hospice too, as well as any primary care, general care setting. It's the interpersonal piece. It's the, you know, making sure you're having some connection with humans. I think it, you know, in the hospice setting, it's why it's so hard to watch someone who's in the dying process in the hospital or in a nursing home. It's so impersonal. There's so little like one on one, and the person just gets kind of lost in this environment. And it's very non personal. Even though there's a lot of people around, there's not a lot of love. It's a lot of just like hustle and bustle. Um, there's a huge push to home hospice. Uh, that's what I do. Mm. Uh, or like or like a boarding care. A boarding care is essentially a home that is shared by like six residents and there's some helpers, but it's just a house. And then an assisted living is just an apartment building with helpers. And so those environments uh, are essentially homes. And And so home hospice is so important because you get to be with the people that love you and care for you. And I think in the dying process, that is, that trumps almost everything else. And that's because the interpersonal, the connection to another human is probably as important as anything else we have talked about, food, Mm -hmm. uh, exercise, sleeping, and interpersonal contact, you know, like it is that important Um, and it's important for the average person that's trying to find their health to surround themselves with people that make them better and love them and support them through their journey instead of naysayers and negative people or people that don't bring any value at all, or just absorb energy. So having that really thoughtful quality interpersonal experience, whether it's a friend or a loved one or a family, it doesn't matter. Or just a caretaker it's important in all aspects of what I call lifestyle medicine. If you're missing the interpersonal piece, you're miserable. So many of the cases in end-of-life care, my guidance is, look, you're sitting here with your loved one. You guys get to be together. So many people die alone. They don't get to be with their loved one or they have no loved ones. They have no one. Uh, Loneliness is horrible. It's scary. It's devastating to the psyche. Eventually it will break you down physically too. Um, I think that, it's not appreciated enough how important that is.
1: Yeah, I know. And you, you mentioned that and obviously with masks and COVID and that whole thing. And, and now we're seeing it come back, you know, there is more of this community and and this social settings Um, it's taken some time and I think it'll maybe, maybe it'll never be, I don't know if it'll ever be the same, you know, I think people are so apt to these zoom meetings and this is just sort of the reality of it and there's a convenience to it, but but yeah, no, there's something to be said about going out and meeting someone in person.
0: And holding their hand. Like when I sit down, I mean, it, they teach us this in med school like, put your hand on someone's leg or arm. And like, people are so weird about that. I, I don't, there's no choice unless the patient is like afraid of me or super on guard. I'm like sitting down and like, I grab their hand like before I'm even like talking to them. Mm-hmm we're people we're we're, there's there's an energetic connection between us and that energy is often more important than anything that is actually said um so yeah i mean on some level we can we can communicate through that energetic level because we can look at each other the zoom call at least you can see each other you can't touch but you can see Mm -hmm. um it's much more personal than uh just a con just a telephone conversation or texting or text. or te- texting, yeah. <laughs> Although texting is weird, like you can communicate quite a lot in just those little, like what you choose to write. So I don't know, but I don't know, man. Like everything I do is trying to trying to be a human, trying to be nice to people and thoughtful, and and not dogmatic and not self absorbed with my own ideas, and and that's the guiding principle I use no matter what part of the healthcare system I'm navigating.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, we've touched on a lot. I, I, I want to sort of finish up and, and, and perhaps maybe uh, I, I probably asked you this last time I should go. I, I've been asking this to all my guests is, you know, if you were going to give a tip to an individual that wanted to get their body back or even their mind back to, to what it once was when they were in their 20s and 30s, because we have a lot of middle-aged in my audience that, you know, I say middle-aged, 40 plus. I mean, I'm 42, honestly. I feel like I'm Twenty-five. So, I think it's just awesome. a number. So, I you say middle age, and what you know, whatever you know, right? But you know, people that are how about this? Growing older, we're all growing older, right? What What are some of what are maybe some some one 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 or two tips that you would give someone that's maybe looking to to get back to when they were when they're in their twenties and thirties? <laughs>
0: uh, I don't know. It's, it's all this stuff. I mean, like if uh, if I had to pick one thing, it's skip breakfast. <laughs> Eat eight hours a day and uh, and sweat. Pick something that makes you sweat, whether it's going in the sauna, whether it's working in the yard, whether it's going for a run, lifting Mm -hmm. weights, doing a Pilates class, sweat every day and eat for a shorter window of time than you ever did before it's just two of the five stressors that should be done every day. You don't have to be crazy and stress it out. Like you could just do guard work, yard gardening work enough to get a little sweaty. And you just have to not eat breakfast. It's not like you're starving, you know? Mm. So I think like just really low hanging fruit like that. Um, But, uh, you know, another idea is just uh, start listening to every podcast by Brian (laughs) Grant. Listen to every podcast by Food Lies. Uh, you know, uh, is the movie yeah, out yet he, food lies. I know he he says, uh, he says it's going to come out by the end of the year. Okay, and, um, okay, He's got his face buried in it.
1: Yeah. I, Brian I, know Sanders, yeah, for people that don't know, Brian Sanders, who was on the show earlier a while back when I first started, he has, uh, um, uh, what would you call it? Is it a, like a doc- documentary? It's not a documentary. Is it it's called uh, food lies? Yeah.
0: It is a He basically, he interviewed like every famous person, every scientist, They, they traveled to Africa. They traveled all over the country. They have so much amazing content. Brian wants to put out like a real, real special movie. There's been a lot of like sort of animal based movies. He really wants to do something special. Um, he is a perfectionist. So I expect the movie to be fantastic. It's been delayed. Uh, but I know that they're in the final steps of editing and just finishing it off. Um, So I'm excited. I think there's a little bit of, maybe I'm supposed to do a little like overdub, like kind of big picture stuff. And that's supposed to be the last thing that my involvement, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited. I think it's going to be good. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know he's been talking about it for a few years now, so uh, we'll look out for that. Um, Maybe I'll get him on when it comes out.
0: Yeah. Well, Dr.
1: Dr. Gary, this was great. Um, I love having you on this is second time around. And, uh, I think we touched on a lot of great, a lot of great topics. So I, I appreciate you coming on.
0: Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, reach out to me if anyone has any questions or interested in what I'm doing at drgaryevolve on IG.
1: Yeah. I'll put all links in the, in the, in the show notes and, um, evolvehealthcare.com and also involve with in sapien. So, um, yeah, appreciate it again. Have a great day.
0: Thanks everyone.